This podcast is brought to you by Audible. Have you been wanting to read more, but don't seem to have the time? Well, with Audible, you can read your books without having to find the extra time in your busy schedule. Stuck in traffic on your way home from work? Why not marathon the Harry Potter books? In the gym and want to learn about the First Lady? Well, you can listen to Becoming Michelle Obama while doing Leg Day. And if you go to audibletrial.com cultivate, you get a month free of Audible. That includes one credit that you can trade in for any audiobook of your choice, access to thousands of audiobooks free to listen to with your account, and best of all, you have access to all of your favorite podcasts in the app as well. So be sure to go to my link, audibletrial.com cultivate. That's C-U-L-T-I-V, the number eight, to sign up for a free month of Audible and start reading today. Thank you, Audible, for supporting the show. Oh my god, John, were you up on Wikipedia all night? John, are you okay? You're you're shaking. You guys, you will not believe what I just read on Wiki. Welcome to Reddit on Wiki, the poorly researched, semi-funny podcast on random stuff we find on the internet. Who, who are you talking to? And why are you shaking so much? Subscribe to Reddit on Wiki on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Sean, I'm scared. Me too, buddy. Me too. Hi, Fred. My name is Josh Shell, host of the Let's Start a Cult podcast, the only podcast that has officially made it to 10 episodes. That's right, no other podcast has achieved this goal, and I will not rest until I'm the only podcast with 100 episodes. Now, with that unfounded claim out of the way, I'd like to introduce to you my guest this episode. She is from the incredibly insightful podcast, Ignorance Was Bliss, a podcast that makes the darker parts of life a little more understandable in a way that will make you say, I felt better before I knew that. (laughs) Please welcome to the communion, Kate Wolinga. Kate, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. That's awesome. So on your podcast, Ignorance Was Bliss, have you ever covered the topic of uh, groupthink mentality or cult mentality? Uh, yes, um, not in this sort of structured. If I ha- oh god, if I have, I forget. So <laughs> I I am the only podcast that is unofficially recorded more than three hundred episodes. Right, unofficially. So yeah. <laughs> I have lost count. Um, I have had two former cult members on my show and have covered at one or two, but. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't do structure very well. So also no. <laughs> Fair enough. What is your take on the phenomenon? Why do you think so many people fall into, into these kind of groups? If it like just a wild stab, like, uh, what would you think? What would you say? A wild stab. I've taught sociology. Well, there you go. <laughs> so so. I can make it up. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, most simply people want life to make sense and they want to belong. That's fair enough. That makes a lot of sense, actually. In in most of my episodes, that would fit. <laughs> so, you've summed up my whole podcast in two words. <laughs> and that's it, folks. Good night. <laughs> actually, on today's episode of Let's Start a Cult, we will be discussing the most controversial Christian group ever created. What started as a simple gathering of friends in a Pennsylvania coffee shop evolved into a sinister organization that spanned decades, transcending the borders of the United States leaving hundreds of members traumatized and is directly responsible for the death of over a dozen children. Currently fueled by the millions of dollars that they earn through their several business ventures, many of its members continue to see it as a legitimate Christian group rather than a cult. 
Today we'll be talking about the Church of Bible Understandings, also known as the Forever Family. So, Kate, have you ever heard of this cult before? I th- I think so. I, uh, I don't know it well, though, so bring it. I mean, yeah, that's fair enough. The Church of Bible Understanding sounds like a pretty generic cult name. It could classify yeah, as well, a few th- things. Yeah, well, that part doesn't ring a bell, but Forever Family does. Okay. And I grew up in upstate New York, right on the border of Pennsylvania. So I feel like this may have oozed over the border a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> don't go to Pennsylvania for coffee. That's, that's the moral of the story. I mean, story. really don't, just don't go to Pennsylvania. <laughs> you know, honestly. Uh, I, I never have, so I'll keep that. Yeah, I, uh... I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll jump into a little bit about the perpetrator of the cult. The Church of Bible Understanding was the brainchild of a man named Stuart Tanner Trail, who was born in Quebec, Canada on February 19th, 1936. So if anyone, you can, you can blame Quebec if you want. Also fair. His father, Donald, had been born in Edinburgh, Scotland, going on to earn a master's degree in sacred theology from the Union Theological Seminary in 1929. Oh, nice. So we can blame Edinburgh, we can blame Quebec, and we can blame Pennsylvania. Like We can, we can blame so many good. people. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's everybody's perfect. fault. Actually, my last episode was blamed on Quebec, too. So this is just a, <laughs> it's just a continuation. <laughs> It's those Canadians. <laughs> in 1933, Donald married Lorraine, and the couple eventually had four children together. They moved their family to Allentown, Pennsylvania, sometime in the 1940s, where Donald found work teaching in local colleges. As a child, Stuart was incredibly intelligent, a trait that even his high school teachers remembered him for. He studied at Liberty High, where he was a member of the chess club and debate club, further showing an astounding proficiency in science. After graduating in 1954, he attended Lay University but dropped out after a few semesters, ending his formal career for good. A lot of the cult leaders seem to leave schooling at some point in their in their career. And I think it's because they think of themselves better than other people, so they don't really like listening to people teach them. Well, I mean, by definition, right, You, you these are people that don't like to follow an established doctrine. Mm-hmm. Or establish rules, and you know they want to branch out religiously. They want to branch out educationally, and I mean, education really is just jumping through a bunch of hoops. That's very true. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it felt to me, actually. <laughs> it, it legitimately is like this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I look, I look at you know myself and my husband have, have both have way too much education, and <laughs> we look at the process is that the further you go in school, it's just the hoops are like on fire. Smaller and smaller. <laughs> exactly. Higher off the ground and that sort of thing. That's all it is. It's just, yeah. it's just one big circus. That's fair enough. <laughs> Not much is known about Stuart's early years, largely due to the fact that his siblings and relatives were, and still are, reluctant to talk about him. However, his former teachers were more than willing to talk about the young Stuart Trail, whom they described as an independent thinker who often questioned their teachings. They claimed that he expressed doubt at their knowledge, confident that he knew much more than they did. They didn't doubt his intelligence, but for them, his inability to discipline himself and submit to authority would bring nothing but trouble. So there is that lack of discipline and ability to listen to authority. In 1959, 23-year-old Stuart married 17-year-old Shirley's sons and found work as a vacuum cleaner, repairman, and salesman. Understandably, this line of work didn't provide much income, especially since the couple had five children. At one point, this trail family had to live in an old school bus, but they eventually moved into a unit at the Cumberland Garden apartment in Allentown. So a little 
ironic he had to live in a school bus, I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, I have four children myself, and I can attest that it is far too many. Uh, <laughs> and that's good to know. I would be much more prone to just leaving them at the side of the road and driving away <laughs> some days. So, you know, it's just as well that I never lived in an old school bus, I'm saying. Well, then you can drive away because you'd be driving away with them. Yeah, no, that's, which is the worst. According to Stewart himself, the early years of his marriage saw him as an avowed atheist on a quest to discredit the Bible. He furiously studied various world religions in an attempt to bring up his own children with a unique newfangled form of belief system. And keep in mind that this is like from his point of view. So it could be some part of his grift where he's saying, I was an atheist and then I transformed into this this Christian believer. So you can as well, basically. I, I, that's kind of what how I get the feeling of it, but... This is how he portrays himself. More than that, though, he claimed that he was on this quest that he found Jesus Christ, welcoming him with open arms and converting him to Christianity. When he realized that miracles outlined in the Bible could neither be explained nor refuted, which I don't understand this take. <laughs> because Is he like saying that nothing can be made up? Like I can write down on a piece of paper. Josh's podcast is the only podcast at 10 episodes, but it doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. You're totally starting a cult. Let's do it. Man. <laughs> um, I already have a name for my cult, by the way. Oh, perfect. Let's hear it. <laughs> um, I am going to start a cult that is the cult of don't be a dick. Ooh. It's an offshoot from Will Wheaton. So like I can't take credit for the name of it, but I feel very strongly in the doctrine, which exists entirely <laughs> of the rule that you should not be a dick. I like this rule a lot. Uh, I think I think more more people should follow it. I also think you should, as the leader, and now that this is your grift, you should take complete control over that name and say that you came up with it. I should. I should. <laughs> it's true. But no, I mean that's that is an odd. That's an odd way of you know. I don't understand this thing and this this miracle that was written 3000 years ago on parchment somewhere and in several different languages and you know repeatedly translated to something that i sort of <laughs> kind of understand now since i can't fully make sense of it it must be true like yeah man <laughs> i i want to introduce this guy to calculus <laughs> <laughs> i that's magic to me to be honest but yeah i i don't understand. like it, it's a it's a wild claim to be like and I'm not saying that the Bible is fake, but that's not what, kind of what I'm going at. But I'm going at like, you can't say that the stories are like irrefutable. <laughs> it's just like Moses parting the sea is a little hard to comprehend, but like the, the values and stuff can, I, can, well, I can get behind. I'm all, it's all well and good if, you, if that is what you believe in, but your sure. entire reason for converting to Christianity based solely on I can't explain this aspect of it, so therefore it all must be true. Like, right. That's that's a big leap. <laughs> it is a big leap. But I guess as a religious leader, you have to be, or no, he's not a leader yet, but he will be. He's going to be prone to taking leaps of faith. <laughs> he's going to make somebody else do it anyway, yeah. Well, that's true too, yeah. The exact year of Stewart's conversion remains disputed. Some say he became a Christian in 1964, while others claim that it was in 1966. Regardless of the year of his conversion, the fact remains that Stewart only created his organization when he was a Christian. 
a fanatic convert from atheism who had been brought to God's light after being unable to prove that the Bible was fake. <laughs> that's, that's a fantastic tagline. That should go on all of his official stationery. <laughs> should be on their shirts. <laughs> yeah, March. According to the Lamb Ledger, uh, COBU's official newsletter, which Church of Bible Understanding. Which, okay, wait, let's just back that up for a second <laughs> and look at the irony of, I'm going to call it the Church of Bible Understanding. <laughs> When he doesn't understand. On the basis of the fact that he doesn't understand these things from the Bible. Like, boy, you know, points for audacity on this guy. That's that's a good catch, actually, because most of his grift is claiming that he understands it. But his statement is claiming that he doesn't understand it. Yeah, you're you're spot on with that, <laughs> that analysis. So the, the Church of Bible Understanding's official newsletter posted one of Stewart's diary entries from 1970 where he talked about how Jesus would use him to reach the entire United States. He went on to explain that he would someday lead an evangelicist group that would be known across the country, which is something that he definitely achieved, although the reputation and image was probably not what, uh, what he envisioned. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not good. <laughs> I'll spoil it. <laughs> good thing I was sitting down for that, but thanks. <laughs> the majority of COBU's members believe that in 1971, Stewart started a movement of young, energetic, evangelical Christians whom he called the Forever Family. If you were, if you were not energetic, you were right out. Yeah, they, they didn't allow you in the Forever Family. You were in the Never Family. But <laughs> on, I do like the Forever Family better than the Church of Bible Understanding. I will say that. I don't know why they rebranded, but... <laughs> same, same. Well, I mean, okay, I have... Both pets and my youngest child is adopted, and for both under <laughs> this is terrible <laughs> under both <laughs> circumstances, when you bring them home, there are people who will use the phrase that you are bringing either the pet or the child home to its forever family. Oh yeah, yeah, I have heard that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I that didn't maybe make that connection. Hence the rebranding, you know. <laughs> yeah. I would imagine that like orphanages would maybe rebrand after this, not the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope, but you know. <laughs> so the members believe that he had started this movement. However, according to Mike Montoya, the creator of the History of the Forever Family and the Church of Bible Understandings website, members of Stewart's group had originally been a part of religious get-togethers hosted by 20-year-old George O'Neill. George, who went by the nickname Skip, was a regular figure in Allentown's religious community, getting together with other young people to conduct Bible studies, which were held in whatever church, apartment, or house was available that day. Skip and his friends were a unique feature in the 1970s, an era that bred a culture of religious fanaticism among the American youth. These young adults were exhausted and sick of the rebellion that characterized the 1960s, desiring to find meaning and purpose in their life, which they believed could be accomplished by turning to God. Unlike their parents, though, they eschewed formal religious practices such as hearing Mass every Sunday and fasting during the Lenten season. Instead, they sought to serve God wherever and whenever they could, spreading his message and welcoming new followers into his light. And I've talked a lot about this because so far a lot of the cults I've covered have evolved from the 70s and 80s. And it's like it, it, it was like the perfect mix for creating a bunch of cults because it was like American politics were pushing a lot of religion on the on the population there was a war that they were trying to, like, youth were rebe rebelling against. 
drugs were very popular back then and it just created this perfect and I'm not blaming drugs or anything like that but <laughs> the illegal the illegalness of drugs I guess was was kind of segregated them from the mainstream I guess and it created this perfect stirring pot for a bunch of cults just to break off and and uh, different segregations of Christianity to break off and and just get more and more isolated I mean, this is big in the, the, you know, yeah, everybody's got to rebel against something. Every generation mm-hmm. wants to rebel against something. And so it's Wall Street right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, and <laughs> some rebellions are better than others. You know yep. what I'm saying? And so, you know, you get the initial rebellion against the boomers in the regular mass and behaving well. Visual quotes behaving well, you know what I mean? And then it was, yeah, in the 60s, and it was like a complete rebellion into drug, sex, and rock and roll. And now what are you going to rebel against, right? (laughs) You got to find something new, some new direction to move things because you don't want to go all the way back to mass because, you know, you don't want to be your parents, but you don't want to be your older siblings either. So that makes sense. Yeah. Stewart and Skip first met each other in August 1971 at the Robin Hood Dell. This was a section of Allentown's Little Lay Parkway, a park where church organizations and groups often congregated in. On the night that they were introduced to each other, Skip had been smoking a cigarette, and Stewart had tried discouraging his vice by making choking signs, perhaps in jest that his cigarette smoke was hindering his ability to breathe. At the same time, Stewart was wearing a button emblazoned with the words, Get Smart, Get Saved, which Skip instantly recognized as a symbol that meant he was a Christian. This whole interaction is wild. <laughs> like, could you imagine going up to a random person and just like making choking noises at them when they smoke? <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I, I can imagine it now, but <laughs> but I'd just do it because, you know, it'd be fun. Um, <laughs> I'd. I, I, no, I cannot imagine any of this as as being the foundation of like a friendship or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, the wearing of buttons, that's cute. That was big at the time. And, and it's there's a thing that kind of fell out of vogue through my teens and 20s was, was not a thing for a while. And now my older kids, my oldest is almost 21. And my older kid is always asking about buttons or, you know, can I get this button or whatever? And I'm like, you know, it all comes back around again. So she may, I mean, she may be joining a call. I don't know. It's possible. <laughs> well, as long as it doesn't say get smart, get saved. We're, I, I we're guarantee okay. that's not what any of her buttons say. Which sounds like a phrase coming from like the D.A.R.E. program. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's probably just as effective. That's probably true. You're right. You know. After their initial meeting at Robin Hood Dell, Skip and Stewart ran into each other again at a diner, and this turned into regular contact between the two men. However, Skip's wife was wary of Stewart, as were their four other Christian friends with whom they regularly studied the Bible. Out of all of them, Skip seemed to be the only one who trusted and believed in Stewart. So, so this goes to show, if your wife and all your friends say that one guy is a troublemaker, maybe, maybe take the hint. <laughs> I, I mean... The- it's a little stereotypical to say that you should always listen to your wife, but I, you know, as as a wife of 20 years, I'm going to say that you should always listen to your wife. Like, that's, that's I think, the bottom line. Yeah, I always listen to my girlfriend. She's usually smarter than me. So. Uh, see, you know. <laughs> By then, Stewart had been holding regular meetings at The Message, a local coffee shop that attracted a wide spectrum of people. From hippies to pastors and from church ladies to young religious fanatics, 
During these get-togethers, Stuart and his friends would share stories about how Jesus rescued them from destructive and aberrant lifestyles. So this seems like a wild coffee shop. <laughs> like pastors and hippies all congregating in one area? Like, I, I mean, I live in Salem, Massachusetts, so it <laughs> kind of sounds normal to me. But yeah, for Pennsylvania, it's pretty progressive. <laughs> it's, it's forward thinking. Later on, Cal Covert, the son of the coffee shop owner, would claim that Stuart carried on mostly about nonsense. He had been 13 at the time and remembered how people gradually started turning up to meetings wearing a Get Smart, Get Saved button, the very same button that had attracted Skip in the first place. He had a large presence and great charisma, Cal said, about the founder of the Forever family. Stewart and his group held meetings at the message regularly, which gave Cal plenty of opportunities to observe their dynamics. I think what initially drew me to Stewart, like so many others, was that he was so unique. You just wanted to know what this character was all about. Apparently he was about faking choking so far. That's what we know for sure. Fake choking and buttons were his thing. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we've got. At first, Stuart had a friendly relation with the owner of the message, Harold Covert, who was Cal's father. Pretty soon, though, Harold began to have misgivings about Stuart's teaching and confronted him, calling him a false prophet. Many other Christian groups had held gatherings at the coffee shop, but none of them exhibited the same dynamics as Stuart's group did. Skip tried to defend his friend, but ultimately Stuart was kicked out of the message. Still, his gatherings continued. Instead of heading to another coffee shop or different public establishment, Stuart began hosting Bible studies at 128 South Church Street, the home of Skip and his wife, where they also lived with another couple. Stuart referred to these meetings as, <laughs> I hate this word, nuggies. <laughs> Short for nuggets of gold. <laughs> My kid refers to Chicken McNuggets as nuggies, and she does it specifically because it bothers me. <laughs> like, that, that's exactly why. Like, I have this visceral reaction. So she, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, it just, it feels so weird to say, like, adult people would use it to, to talk about knowledge. Nuggies. No, no oh yeah, it does, it does sound like something a kid would say. Well, this is my 20-year-old that says yeah. it. And oh, she does it. She does it to be an asshole. Like, let's be clear. Oh, God, I hate everything about this. Oh, I hope I hope they served chicken nuggets at there. I... Nuggies. I, I don't, don't make me say it again, please. <laughs> I hope I don't think it comes up again in the script, okay. but uh, just know that I am thinking the word nuggies every time we talk about his teachings. Perfect. <laughs> it was um, it was here that he hones the crux of his later preachings that the Bible, in order to be interpreted correctly, needed to be poured over and analyzed. He encouraged participants to dig for the scriptures, hidden wisdom and meaning, teaching them the figure system, which he himself had created and developed. In the simplest terms, Stuart's figure system was the expansion of the Bible by the use of symbolic language. He began preaching his own interpretations, hinting that he had been blessed by God himself with the one true interpretation of the Bible. At one of these meetings, he presented a copy of the lectures on the figurative language of the Holy Scripture and the interpretation of it from the Scripture itself, which was an early 19th century pamphlet written by William Jones had been a prominent and learned scholar at his time. I mean, and I was going to say, that sounds exactly on brand for 1800s pamphlets. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, the pamphlet is like, you know, they could, they could just say, 
figurative language in the Bible, but instead they're like lectures on the figurative language and the number of times the letter E appears and take thy holy hand (laughs) grenade and half the pamphlet is art is just the title. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They did they definitely didn't know clickbait titles back back in the (laughs) nineteenth century. For Stuart, Jones's writing was proof that his figure system was correct and that he had been gifted with the Bible's true interpretation. This line of messaging solidified the devotion of his following, but it also alienated the rest of the Christian community in Allentown, many of whom shared Harold Covert's sentiments. As winter of 1971 rolled around, Stuart began to actively discourage Skip and his friends from attending other Bible studies and having fellowship with other Christians, giving disparaging comments and asserting himself as the only legitimate biblical teacher in the town. However, no one paid attention to him with the Christians who met at the message dismissing his words. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Good, I mean, good for them. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if they'd kept on like this, we might not be talking about him. <laughs> Perhaps, though, they shouldn't have ignored Stuart. His staunch belief in himself as the prophet, as the only person on earth who held the key to unlocking the Bible's real message was exuberated by the religious fervor that gripped the 1970s Allentown and by the growing conflict with other local Christian groups. During a sales trip to Ohio, Stewart was given ververin, which is a caffeine pill, by a fellow Christian to help him stay awake. On the drive back to Pennsylvania, he became visibly agitated and was determined to attend a Bible study at the Message coffee shop that night. Once they arrived at the coffee shop, Stewart took most of his loyal followers and formed one of the most notorious Christian organizations of the 21st century, the Forever Family. <laughs> okay, so first of all... That was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there, is, there is a lot there. First of all, the mysticism, that, that, you know, that, that, that approach of like mathematically or symbolically parsing the Bible out is not uncommon among cults and cultists. It is also not uncommon among people with profound schizophrenia. Uh, oh, Okay. So, and the thing about people with schizophrenia is that they tend to be really pretty smart. They just have a, a lot of extra going on at the same right. time. But they, they, they see patterns and they perceive patterns in the world differently than, than neurotypical brains would. Interesting. So, that makes life a lot harder for them inherently. And it makes it so that they would not be an ideal cult leader. And it sounded like this guy's leaning in that direction a little bit. I mean, yeah, like you said, a lot of cult leaders do this and a big reason why, and I don't know if they've truly believed that they have the answers, but if everyone else believes that they have the answers, then they have to come to, to the leader to get the answers. And so they rely on him. That's why. So it's not quite, quite the same as like, I guess it's, it's, Similar to schizophrenia, I guess, in that way. But I don't know if they truly believe it or if it's just a grift. You know what I, I mean? Think, I think mostly they have – I mean, they have to believe it at some level. You That's know, fair. Because yeah. you have to be so consistent. You, you think about uh, writers now writing fiction if they're, you know, writing a series. And they get, they get readers who get so into the world. It's Star Wars, for instance, as a, as yep. a particularly relevant cult at the moment. <laughs> Where the, the cultists memorize aspects of the world and the universe that the writers never thought about. They were just like, I don't know, put a pair of orange shoes on her. I, I don't know. <laughs> and you've got people like parsing out like, but what does it mean? And then yeah. they have to know. And so the, the leader has to kind of 
you have to have such a deep understanding that you they really do have to believe their own words, which is what makes them dangerous. That's right? fair. They're not liars because a liar can step out of it and a liar can eventually reach a point where they're like, you know what? People are dying and that's probably bad and maybe perhaps I should change the things that I'm doing. But right. if you can't see that, if you if you've lost all of that perspective because you're believing your own words, that's dangerous. I mean that's yeah. that's to me you know the difference between an effective politician and a, <laughs> and a scary one, right? Is an effective politician will learn all the rules and lean into them, but but they kind of they know when to step out. They bail out, yeah. You know, a scary politician, such as Trump, but also <laughs> such as um, I, I got to attend a taping of The Daily Show when Jon Stewart was still behind the desk. That's awesome. It was super fun. And the guest was Rod Blagojevich, who was the a uh, senator from Illinois who tried to sell Obama's seat when Obama uh, was elected and, and just all, all, all manner of corruption. And the fascinating thing about watching Blagojevich speak, and this was before his trial. He, he has since then was convicted and imprisoned and blah, blah, you know, like you do. All that fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> was that watching him speak, it was really clear that he believed his own words. And that's like, mm. those are the scariest people, the ones who maybe they lie, but then they believe their own words. So that's all that. I also think it's fascinating that uh, an overdose of caffeine followed by a trip to a coffee <laughs> shop seems like a good idea because, you know, the more caffeine, the better. Yeah. But also, as a side note, since since we were talking about schizophrenia, caffeine and nicotine help treat the symptoms of schizophrenia. Oh, interesting. I thought it would do the opposite for some reason. That, like, in my mind, that's, I always thought it was like, it would aggra aggravate. Is that the right word? Aggravate? Um, no, it, it, it seems to, it, we, we don't clearly know why it helps. Okay. But, like, I used to work at a group home that was a couple of blocks from a, a Dunkin' Donuts coffee shop nearby here. And I swear to you that there was a path. They, they they didn't need a sidewalk. Like, they just would have flattened the path between the house and the... And they would talk about, you know, because I'm sitting around, I'm going to ask them questions because I'm sitting there otherwise, you right. know. And I would be like, why do you... Why, why you just... You can have coffee here at the house. Like, you can even have Dunkin' Donuts coffee made here at the house. Like, what do right. you... And, and how on earth can this be good for your prostate and things like, you know, <laughs> all of the questions that you ask. And maybe you should not smoke quite as much. And their answer was, if I don't, the voices are louder. Oh. Or if I don't, some of the other symptoms, my thinking gets foggy. But if I have the caffeine and if I have the nicotine, I'm able to focus better. Schizophrenia, I'm not going to go off the whole lecture, but it's actually quite a lot like, like ADHD in a lot of ways. So. If you have ADHD, you kind of know what it's like to have schizophrenia. Um, damn, I did not think we would go into schizophrenia, but uh, that's that's very interesting. So for for the next part, we're just gonna we're gonna dive into the cult and and kind of how they established uh, the Forever Family. The Forever Family began meeting in a basement of a local church, but soon enough, membership numbers skyrocketed, and they were forced to move to a bigger place. A fellowship house was established at one thirty seven South Church Street. 
just a few doors down from where Skip and his wife resided. The early days of the organization were rough. Stewart's abrasive and aggressive behavior combined with his shocking language and blatant manipulation of those around him surprised many members, even those who were loyal to him. He was often mean and went out of his way to dominate conversations, especially those that were focused on studying the Bible. For Stewart, his interpretation of the scripture was the only one that mattered. He even went so far to ban one of his followers from buying books, commentary, and Bible aids while at a Christian bookstore. He also chided his followers from reading Christian literature that wasn't written by devout Christians, such as the works of C.S. Lewis, C.H. Spurgeon's, as well as the texts from The Pilgrim's Progress and Martyr's Mirror. But despite his reprimands, his members continue to read these and share them with one another. So they're still not quite listening to him, which is the, that's the crux of when the cult starts turning, uh, usually towards not so good means is when culty yeah yeah (laughs) one of the things that stewart emphasized was the act of witnessing members of the forever family were sent out to malls diners street corners and other public establishments where they were told to persuade other young adults to convert to christianity many of them did so out of genuine desire to bring others to jesus christ however it became clear that stewart had other more moral motivations As an experienced vacuum salesman, Stuart began to implement some of the techniques used in his day job on the Forever Family. Rather than the quality, to go on my own resume now. (laughs) You can make anything sound professional. I want people to introduce me that way. As an experienced (laughs) vacuum salesman. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) That's okay. Rather than the quality and depth of their evangelicalism, he focused on numbers, enforcing a sort of sales quota on those who were witnessing. The emphasis proved to be unnerving and frustrating. By 1974, a lot of his members were suffering from anxiety attacks at the thought of their witnessing quotas. So I have a, I have a friend in car sales, and he definitely goes through this, and like a lot of his coworkers do. If you're not making the sales or it looks like you might not make it, it's like just crushing like it's and and it sounds like it was exactly the same so it doesn't matter if you're selling cars or faith <laughs> you're selling god or selling a, a buick you know <laughs> uh, it's the same type of anxiety well and it's in in witnessing is tough because at least with car sales people generally come to you when you're witnessing you're going out into the community and you're kind of invading other people's personal space very true and you get a lot of people that are trying to find polite ways and many who are not (laughs) trying to find polite ways are telling you to fuck right off that that, you know that they just don't don't get your religion on me and it's also a little different as well as like if you're selling a car it's just an object it's not it doesn't have any meaning to you but when you're trying to sell your personal religion it has some you have some sort of stake in that game where it's 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 kind of a personal attack if someone says no, I feel, in, in some ways anyway. Yeah, for sure. Those who failed to meet Stewart's set goals were accused of faithlessness. Because of this, some members forced themselves to stay out all night or to stand in open areas, even in bad weather, just to convert passerbys to Christianity and meet their quotas. Like, that's going to work more, right? <laughs> like, I'm more likely to buy your God if it's cold and dark in and the middle of the night. 2 a.m. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Despite the abuse and manipulation, the Forever family continued to look up to Stuart, seeing him in the exact same way that he saw himself. Their devotion was intensified when Stuart asserted that he had the gift to discern spirits, saying that he was capable of looking at another individual and instantly determining where they were with regard to their spirituality. 
This gave his members a false sense of openness and vulnerability. Stuart's gift led them to believe that they had no privacy around him and would be unable to keep even their innermost thoughts hidden from him. However, this isn't to say that his followers were all fanatically devoted to him. In 1972, some members of the Forever family began questioning Stuart's leadership and the direction that he wanted to take the group. Some of them openly opposed him and ended up leaving the group altogether. In response to his detractors, Stuart wrote a document called Concerning How the Whole Forever Family is Breaking Up and What We Can Do About It, where he chided the remaining members on questioning his assertion and criticizing the lack of love that he exhibited towards them. So I think it's funny, the title. Uh, yeah, is, I know. It's, just, exactly it's back to the said. pamphlet. It's like <laughs> you open the pamphlet itself and it's like nothing. He's just like, it's self-explanatory. <laughs> An expert from this read, quote, It is easy for an experienced FFer to be led by the Lord and to have revelations, usually sufficient secrets to be convenient, which are nothing more than cleverly concealed ego trips to counter Stuart's authority of truth and are designed to permit return to the womb and flesh. The Lord wants me to grow slowly, or one should stay at the same place where he was saved, etc. We, from time to time, see those who are led to leave the forever family, usually because of the tired one about use don't show love, unquote. That was a lot of, I don't understand. He doesn't understand structure, sentence structure. Well, not a great writer. No, not not great. I, 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 again, an experienced FFer and an experienced vacuum salesman. <laughs> he's got it all. That's why he's the leader. <laughs> More than this, though, Stuart also authored two homilies, the Catholic homily and the Forever Family homily where he outlined his perspective on the current societal culture as well as his mistrust and disdain for parents, those over the age of 25, the police, and other Christians, which meant those who weren't following him. So literally almost everyone. <laughs> Out of the two books in, in the Bible, Stuart prioritized the Old Testament more, which he claimed he could safely satisfy one's desire for understanding. Many of his preachings were derived from Old Testament stories, a book characterized by vengeful, possessive, and jealous God. Which, what the hell, Stuart? The, <laughs> the miracles happen in the New Testament. That's true. I guess it's easier. It's harder to disprove the Old Testament. I don't think this guy did the reading <laughs> thing. I think that's the answer. Anyway, yeah. sorry. sorry. No, yeah, that's, that's, that's fine. A lot of the cults do lean towards more of the Old Testament because it is more, it fits in line with what they're trying to do. They're trying to create a, domineering like presence over these people so which is the god that is portrayed in the old testament so i guess that's probably why but (laughs) it's uh uh who knows with stewart on the other hand the majority of modern christians tend to concentrate on the new testament which is largely considered to be the book where the son of god puts to write the erroneous interpretations of his father's message the god in the new testament is more loving more understanding and more compassionate blessing Jesus Christ's followers by multiplying loaves of bread and fish so that a crowd of over 5,000 people could eat their fill out of only a few pieces. In contrast to this, the God of the Old Testament sent a 40-day flood to start a world afresh and demanded absolute loyalty from his followers, even going so far to ask Abraham to kill his beloved son to show his utmost love and devotion, and then saying, JK, you don't have to do that. (laughs) It's not in the script, but that's what happened. It is. Stewart's focus on the Old Testament and the fact that his teachings were based upon it served to alienate him, as well as his followers, from other Christian communities. 
Before long, they were no longer perceived to be a group open to having fellowship with others. Rather, they began to develop into an exclusive fanatic cult, one led by a man who saw himself as special and personally favored by God. One of the things that Stewart developed in the Forever family, aside from the figure system, was the color code, which he deemed to be the only way the Bible verses should be interpreted. It involved 10 different colors, including red for salvation and purple for the Holy Trinity. Stewart proclaimed himself to be the inventor of the scheme, but in reality, he'd learned it from one of Stewart's friends. So just like you should claim the, uh, the title to your cult. Cult, cult of <laughs> don't be a dick. And I'm also yeah. going to rank people. Well, it, it almost, you know, with his, his leaning into this, this symbology and, you know, the, the color scheme and everything, I wonder if he did have, you know, schizophrenia or uh, synesthesia, which is when your, your senses get a little bit crossed. Okay. So, you know, people who like associate music with colors. Interesting. Or tastes or that kind of thing. Like, that sounds like what he's doing here is he's starting to associate, you know, colors to the way a Bible verse should be interpreted. Take, you know, those are two pretty distinct concepts, but let's smush them all together and see what happens. And it's, it's very Play-Doh. I don't know. And, and all of it, you know, forever family and yeah. color code and figure system. It's very kindergarten. That's very interesting that you think it's... Um, it, do you, I, and I hate this question because it's impossible for you to answer, but do you think he might have been schizophrenic just based on what you've been hearing? I mean, do, yeah, could have been. Like, I, I'm not, I can't, obviously can't diagnose, right. but <laughs> but just like I said, you know, the, the, there's a lot of little things here and there, but there's, we're, we're hearing whiffs of paranoia. A lot of cult leaders have at least features of schizophrenia, even if they don't meet the entire disorder. And, That's and that fair, includes, yeah. you know, a, a sense of paranoia, a difficulty relating to others, understanding adult relationships in the same way that other people seem to. Um, sometimes they have difficulty with sensory issues like hot and cold. They won't feel them in the same way that other people feel them, which Concepts like sweat lodges or extended periods of time out in the snow or that, you know, which some cults want their members to do. And the leader can do it. And so there's sort of this demand of like the leader can do it. Why can't you? And the answer is the leader can do it because sometimes they have a schizophrenic process happening that allows them to dissociate from the fact that they're freezing their ass off. Yeah. Yeah. I like the way you look at it because... Because I would have never, when I'm talking about cults most of the time and I, I see these these traits and these tendencies, I always think it's part of their grift. I think it's, I, I read it as, oh, they're doing this because they want them to follow them. They want to, they want complete control. But I I could see that in, in, and maybe it is like some cases, maybe that is the case where, or the cult is just like the cult leader is just a dick basically. <laughs> um, but I, I do like your interpretation that maybe they are just like some of them could be schizophrenic or have schizophrenic tendencies and maybe they actually do fully believe in, in some of the stuff that's going on and, and have those uh, sensory, was it deprivation? or uh, but, Well, sensory, yeah, different ways of interpreting sensory input. I mean, Jim Jones, for instance, I fully believe had schizophrenia. Very interesting. He got very paranoid. And now it could have been 
in his case, uh, methamphetamine-induced schizophrenia. Yeah, he did a lot of drugs. <laughs> he did a whole lot of drugs. Yeah. But the drugs, he, he didn't do all of the drugs. True. He did a specific, you know, he did uppers, right? Which, yeah. like I said, you know, caffeine and nicotine are both stimulants, as is methamphetamine, um, which was his drug of choice. Cocaine was just one of his personal favorites. And those do tend to help people in the in the short term. They tend to help people process. Like there's a reason we don't tell people just do cocaine about it. Like right. <laughs> it's not actually all that. It's not a solution. Yeah. Medication. But when someone's self-medicating, like you can learn a lot about a person's tendencies by what their drug of choice is. And so Jim Jones, for sure. Also, not a member of the cult, but don't be a dick. <laughs> he's not allowed. Well, he's dead. I, so. he's, he's been disavowed. Posthumously yeah, that, disavowed. Yes. That's fair. I think there's a, a few people that might be on that list. <laughs> that's very interesting. I, I like that take. Restructures a lot of what I did. I said about Jim Jones in the, in the episode, but that's that's very cool. I like that. Well, not like that, but you know what I mean. I, I, I do. It's you know, I, it's, it's a little both. It's different. It's just, you know, and I don't know. Right. Of course. But I I get to make things up because I'm not talking. I'm not on the stand anymore. And so I get That's to fair. just make shit up. <laughs> and it feels, I mean, running a cult is a lot of goddamn work. Like, it's a lot of work. You are on yep. call 24-7. And just, I mean, like I said, I have four kids. And just when they're little, especially, now they're easier in a lot of ways, the older <laughs> ones, in large part because they fear me. And in, in, so perhaps I'm a successful cult leader. But early on, when they are when they are toddlers and they are first coming into my cult, <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's a lot, and 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 then to be responsible for other humans. And the more they can go out in the world, the more they can screw up. And my job as a parent is to let go and, yep. and let them screw up. But if you can't, and if you if you see yourself as this like paternal figure, and you're trying to send them out in the world, but you're trying to control everything they do, like that's exhausting. Why would you do that if there's no <laughs> What do you get? You got to be getting something out of it. Yeah, no, you got to let the the bird fly from the nest eventually. I mean, like they'll come back and you can be there for them when they need you. But right. That's the theory. You got to make yourself obsolete. Exactly. And so, you know, as a cult leader, then there's something that they are getting out of being in charge of other people. It's not just a power trip because they could go into politics if that was the case and they they could have weekends off. Do you know what I mean? Like, but they could, yeah, yeah, they, could yeah. they could become a business executive or they could go into medicine or there's a lot of places where sociopaths can be really highly effective. <laughs> Just right. saying. But <laughs> yeah. so it, choosing to go the cult route, there's, there's a heavy buy-in, I think. I don't think they fake it in a conscious way that, that just because sense. why would you why why would you why would you buy maybe i'm just really lazy like that is also <laughs> quite possible or maybe you're just trying to find the the, the better in people I, <laughs> oh no 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 no! i'm cynical okay. as all hell That's so fair, I, yeah, yeah. i'm just but I'm, re, I'm i'm really lazy and so i feel like there's got to be some sort of right reward that you're getting if you are doing this thing and, and you must really really believe in what you're doing Right. And I mean, we're getting way off topic, but that's okay. I love this discussion. Uh, like, Welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> this is a thing like and some cults, I when they're making money and stuff like that, that's when I'm like, OK, this is a grift. I don't know if they truly believe in it or if it's a cult that it burns, burns quick, like it's a couple of years, maybe. And it's done. That's when I'm like, OK, those people were probably grifters. They were just in it for the money, the fame, what, uh, the sex, sex sometimes. Sometimes it's just the power over people. But then, yeah, there are the cults that are, 
longer, like they have longer term goals and they're, they're trying to keep everyone together and just like really like they're not taking any money. And, and it's, those are the people that I think fall, maybe fall into your category of they truly believe what they're after. Not mine personally. Like, no, 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 but like your, your, your theory that you're bringing to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Okay. okay. I'll just say like, like I said, I don't, I don't actually want to call it like that's <laughs> too much work. Too it much really work. is. It yeah. Really is. That's why we just talk about them. We don't start one. Okay. Wink, wink. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, God. <laughs> Where were we? We were not being a dick. We were not being a dick. You're, you're correct about that. We just talked about the color code. Despite the questionable tactics that Stuart used to teach his followers, the Forever family's ranks continued to swell. By 1972, they had grown from two fellowship houses in Allentown to seven, including some that were located in nearby towns. A member was even dropped off in Cleveland, Ohio to start a chapter there. Life in the Forever family seemed normal enough, modeled after Stuart's understanding of biblical church structure. Members lived communally while Stuart and his family had their own separate apartment. The majority of his followers were converts and had been Christians for less than a year. They were also in their late teens or early 20s, which made them perceive the 37-year-old Stuart as a parental and authoritative figure, which meant that they were more than willing to do everything and anything he said. So just as you said, a parent, a parental figure, a big thing is they usually do target younger people because they don't have quite the life experience or because they're trying to rebel in some way or they're looking for some sort of purpose in life. And uh, if they happen to stumble across some random person giving out pamphlets, at two in the morning in the rain. Yeah. <laughs> two in the morning in the rain. They're they're more likely to go and experience that. Whereas someone with bills and family, they're not gonna just go off and, and sign up for some some crazy religious fanatical group. The Forever family adopted a rather odd way of speaking, a language that combined contemporary slang, the figure system, the color code, and trailisms, or a unique turn of phrase that Stuart claimed to have invented. For instance, old people were referred to as cows, while the youth were called lambs or sheep. On the other hand, those who believed to be perverted were labeled as swine. Stuart himself started saying praise God after each and every statement. Initially, this sounded spiritual and mystical. As time wore on, though, it became clear that it was a verbal tick. Which Tourette's is also neurologically tied in with schizophrenia. They're in the same part of the brain. So I'm saying... Your 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 theory for this one is actually falling very like in line with uh, with what he's doing. So that's poor guy. Uh, I mean, poor guy, but he's also yeah, he's uh, kind of a dick to be yeah, fair. Yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> like, there's tons of people with schizophrenia who live normal lives and don't. Well, and who are not dicks? <laughs> like, that's the thing. Is you know, they don't try and ruin people's lives. <laughs> no, I'm just that's what, well, but 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 this does sort of fall into if you are not diagnosed with what like whether it's schizophrenia or whether he has OCD or whether he has Tourette's or whether he has ADHD like there's something in that part of the brain the right frontal lobe that is not working quite quite right for this guy executive functioning is going on which is where you like executive functioning is where you like make a plan carry it out and then assess how well you did and it sounds like somewhere in there is falling apart for for, for our friend the connection's lost <laughs> yeah and when you don't get diagnosed you don't get treated and when you don't get treated you do the best you can right to try to put together a life that has some purpose and meaning and feels effective but that doesn't mean you do well and it and it can mean that you end up doing a lot of damage so yeah so 
if anything you take from this episode, it's if you are having trouble, definitely seek some seek some help. Yes, please. It's never been easier, and uh, it's becoming less of a stigma, uh, which I think is amazing. But absolutely, like if you, if you really, if you really, if you're starting to feel like you're hearing direct voices from God, or you're starting to feel like you have special answers that no one else seems to have at all, it, there are two possibilities. One is that you are just that special, and you do <laughs> have the the answer that no one else in the known universe has figured out thus far in which case that's a lot of responsibility yep (laughs) and it's gonna mean a lot of work or maybe your brain weasels are screaming in some way shape or form and in maybe your brain is 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 firing in quite in in a different way so go and and get get tested and get get assessed by a psychologist because either you will get a diagnosis that you can then pursue different kinds of treatment. It doesn't just mean drugs. Mm-hmm. There are different kinds of treatment. Or the psychi- psychologist can say to you, look, you're fine. You don't have anything wrong with you. Then you can lord it over everybody else being like, look, see, they said I'm fine. Right? So it's a win either way. I mean, yeah, you're exactly right. If if you do have the next E equals MC square formula and, and you want to just make sure that you're not you're in your right state of mind, what's the harm? If they say you're okay, then you've got the answer and, and it's a win-win. No, that's, that's, a, that's a great perspective. It's hard to say exactly what drew people to Stewart with his shocking words and oftentimes abusive language. However, the 1970s experienced social upheaval like no other, brought about by a religious and defiant atmosphere that characterized most of the 1960s. Because of this, the American youth were starved for meaning and purpose in their life, with most of them seeking answers to questions that they themselves couldn't think of. Unfortunately, they found what they were looking for in Stuart. Thanks to his hippie charm and unorthodox way combined with his natural intelligence and self-confidence, for wayward youth, his was the path that they wanted to take. In 1976, Stuart changed the name of the organization from the Forever Family to the Church of Bible Understandings, or C-O-B-U for short. I might just say Kobu, that sounds cool. I, like Kobu Kai, <clears throat> right? Like I love that, sh- you know, that yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. So he made this change perhaps in a bid to make them sound more legitimate and professional and less like a hippie movement. Before long, fellowship houses had sprung up across the United States and Canada, including in Connecticut, North Carolina, and Virginia. With the rapid expansion of COBU, Stuart began seeing and flaunting himself as the reincarnation of Elijah and John the Baptist. His preaching began to hint at a deep personal relationship with God, similar to the relationship that Moses had with the Father. He started traveling to the various fellowship houses, which he referred to as centers, in order to preach and share his vision even more. I don't know why he specifically chose Elijah and John the Baptist, but those were who he he identified most with. Which, were they not both New Testament figures? Here's where I show I the fact so. that I am not a Christian myself, <laughs> but I think they're both in the New Testament, but he's leaning into the Old Testament stuff. And man, this guy's got to, like, if, if, okay, let me tell you <laughs> that if I can catch you in uh, doctrinal matters, that's a big deal because I know shit about shit when it comes to doctrinal okay. <laughs> matters. And so the fact that he's just getting the, the New and Old Testaments messed up is interesting. It's a, it, it's a decision that he made. Yeah, I don't know why he chose those ones, but and I and I think you're right though. I think those are in the New Testament. I, it's been a while since I've gone through the Bible, um, but uh, I believe you are correct. I think those are in the New Testament. 
As the only licensed pilot in the organization, it was easy for Stewart to hop from one state to another, oftentimes accompanied by 18-year-old Gail Gillespie, his acting secretary. He flew an airplane that COBU owned, convincing members that witnessing and converting others was much more economical with a private plane rather than fly commercial. See, this is where I'm like, oh, it seems like a bit of a grift. It seems a little... <laughs> Just because maybe he buys in doesn't mean he can't also be a grifter. Like, True. People, people are complicated. They can do multiple things. Yeah, actually, and you know what? I think that's probably... they. Some people grift until they believe it, too. So, uh, yeah, you're probably right. A little, a little column A, a little column B. Exactly. The organization may have started out with a single airplane to be used by Stewart for witnessing other states at a moment's notice, but as the years went by, the number of aircrafts grew. Ultimately, COBU would own a total of four different planes, including a jet and a helicopter, to be used in their Haitian operations. The latter would end up being destroyed in a fiery crash, an accident caused by Stewart while he was taking flying lessons. God did not want him to have a helicopter, is, is the answer. <laughs> And I guess he, he didn't know how to fly a helicopter, but he knew how to fly airplanes because he was taking flying lessons for the helicopter. <laughs> I mean, they, they're a lot more dangerous. So Yeah, that's very true. COBU's growth skyrocketed, but Stewart's family life was in shambles. His wife Shirley accused him of infidelity and even poured a bowl of sugar on his head while the two were at a local diner. <laughs> That'll teach him. <laughs> yeah, whatever was closest, just pour it on him. Stewart filed for divorce against Shirley, accusing her of adultery. So this is the, the equivalent of, you can't fire me, I quit, <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> As the divorce proceedings wore on, he managed to persuade some members to kidnap his children, taking them to fellowship houses across the United States and Canada. When Shirley, who had visitation rights, stopped by to see the kids, they were coached with scripted answers to her questions and were trained to deny their father's involvement in their lives. So, uh, those aren't that's, great things. Yeah, that's icky. yeah. In newspaper articles, later on, allegations surfaced that Stewart deliberately set out to trap Shirley into committing adultery. There were claims that he dropped her off at bars and clubs while wearing seductive apparel. Moreover, it was claimed that COBU members were tasked with keeping an eye on her at all hours of the day, relaying her movements and the people she interacted with to Stewart. He also reportedly castigated to his followers and humiliated those who came to her defense. This is that, uh, what would you call it? The... Uh, Ass-hattery? Yeah, ass-hattery is a very good, good, good word for it. I was going to say, um, like, he's he always looking over his shoulder and, and uh, like, suspicious of people around him. Paranoia, okay. Paranoia, but, yeah, but, yeah. But I was going to, you know, ass-hattery works as well. Because, yep. you know. <laughs> In one instance, one member called him out for his poor treatment of Shirley. His inappropriate sexual advances towards one of his followers and his questionable relationship with Gail Gillespie. In response, Stewart openly humiliated him in front of everyone for over an hour, questioning his faithfulness to God. On December 11th, 1976, 40-year-old Stewart married 19-year-old Gail. So, it all was true. He just <laughs> put it on a front for some reason. That same year, he decided to gather COBU's older members into the Manhattan Training Center, one of the business ventures that had served as an institution where young Christians would be formally trained and schooled. However, those who worked there were subjected to extreme forms of verbal abuse, with Stewart openly attacking their weaknesses and shortcomings. The trauma that the members experienced at the MTC would haunt them for years to come, long after the institution had been abolished. Oh, so we're getting into the, uh, the abuse part of the cult. Oh, it's always the fun part. I was being sarcastic. No one clipped that. <laughs> 
uh, yeah, no, not all of that fun. No, but that's the thing is you start pushing boundaries and start pushing boundaries and then you've got to maintain the boundaries. That's true. Or you lose control uh, right. or you feel like you're losing control anyway. Besides the MTC, Stewart also formed the Philadelphia Lamb House in 1979 and the Brooklyn Young Sheep House a few years later. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's back to kindergarten again with the cows and sheep and pigs and lambs. And- yeah. Before your your theory, I would have thought he – so a lot of cults do this where they rename everyone to either one name or they give everyone different names kind of thing as well as themselves. And I think that cuts them off from their personal life. It's like the last thing. Their name is their last thing. So I, I would have assumed it was that. They were just – you're all lambs. You're all sheep. And I'm Elijah or John the Baptist, whatever. But yours, your theory might make sense where you're just like, you're all lambs because God said so or something like that. Like You might actually be lambs. It's like he in some yeah. way may, may believe that they're personifying some lambishness or something. Fair, yeah, yeah. I think that's a very interesting way to look at it. These were also schools, although their lessons were highly skewed towards Stuart's teachings. For instance, the Philadelphia Lamb House only had three courses. What just happened to you, the next few days, and faith or feelings. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I've I've taken those courses. Basically, that's that's basically grad school for psychology right there. <laughs> you were a lamb for a bit. Oh, for sure. It's a cult. <laughs> Eventually the COBU's business ventures would make Stuart a millionaire. In 2017, the old good New York-based retail stores that they had developed would funnel over $6.8 million into their coffers, most of which they got to keep as a religious and nonprofit organization. So you got to love those goddamn tax breaks. The tax breaks. <laughs> so we're kind of getting to the, the current day stuff, and there's actually been quite a few major events that have happened. I think it was last year. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of get into that right now. In July 1977, Stewart began to introduce the idea of conducting missions in Haiti, building orphanages for the country's many abandoned children. He began to use this initiative to manipulate his followers, saying that those who left COBU were also abandoning the impoverished Haitian kids. This mission may have resulted in a wealth of good things for Haiti, but it recently came under fire, literally on fire. On February 13th, 2020, almost, I think it'll almost be a, a year from when this leaf releases. This will be next week. So yeah, pretty close to a year ago. Fire swept through one of COBU's orphanages in Kenskoff, Haiti, killing a total of 15 children. Half of the victims were babies and toddlers, as well as kids between the ages of 10 and 11. This devastating tragedy only raised more awareness to the whole slew of controversies that have plagued the organization for years, especially since the fire started because the orphanages was using candles instead of generators or battery, despite being situated in a country that frequently experienced power failures on a massive scale. So yeah, they're making millions of dollars, they don't have to pay taxes, and they can't they can't seemingly afford to power these orphanages properly, and it causes fire, which unfortunately 15 kids had to pay for, which is terrible. COBU had lost accreditation for its two Haitian orphanages after a series of inspections were launched in November 2012. Their institutions were faulted for overcrowding, unsanitary conditions, and inadequately trained staff. Much of the global media contrasted this with the organization's income and business ventures. In one of the more famous comparisons, a limestone mantle from Waldorf's Astoria that Kobu was selling through its antique retail store. 
old good things carried a price tag of $8,500. On the other hand, they only offered compensation to the families of the dead children, a sum between $50 and $100, along with $150 funeral-related costs. Oof. So they're basically saying, and this is Max, your kid's life was worth $250. That's a really shitty thing for something that was like, they were your responsibility. You should have kept them safe. Like, Yeah, that's not great. It's no. not great. Haitian prosecutors also launched a criminal investigation into the homes. Some kids said that they were being treated kindly, while others claimed that physical abuse, so- social isolation, and beatings were common. According to 19-year-old Annika Francois, who was six when she first entered COBU's Haitian orphanage, Children who wet the bed were physically punished, stretched across a table, and spanked by a staff member. She said, quote, They would often produce marks, in which case the monitor would give you a bath with warm salt water. Unquote. Investigation into COBU's mission into Haiti are still currently ongoing, uh, since it's only been kind of a year since the whole thing broke out. But yeah, so they are doing terrible things in Haiti and making millions of dollars. So uh, I don't care if you have schizophrenia, you're kind of a yeah, shit person. <laughs> kind of a shit person. Well, and, and because he, he, can, he may be the, the leader of the cult, but there are other people that are running the orphanages. There are other people right. that are running the finances and that kind of thing. You know, you, you end up with a pretty typical corporate structure in any cult of any given size that's mm-hmm. making money. And so... Yeah, this particular dude may or may not have symptoms of schizophrenia, but there are people who do not, who know better, who are just selling children down the river, kind of literally. Yeah. And also, let's just point out, if we could, the name of the store. (laughs) It's an antique store called Old Good Things, and it's old (laughs) with an E, oldie. Old Good Things. Things is the name of the store. I want to talk to their marketing department. <laughs> and congratulate them on such a great naming job. <laughs> well, I guess I know what it is that they're selling, don't I? Much like their pamphlets, you know what you're getting into as soon as you read <laughs> the title. <laughs> I'm surprised the name of the store isn't a mile and a half long. <laughs> they couldn't fit it on the New York building. It would go too far. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, I mean, Stuart Trail was in charge when these orphanages were being set up. He is no longer with us. He passed away in his sleep on October 9th, 2018. While the ranks of the Church of Bible Understandings have certainly dwindled through the years, his death was still largely mourned by what remained of his followers and idolizers. However, those who left the organization of their own volition felt conflicted over his death. He was a man who brought them to Christianity and introduced them to the Word of God, but he had also abused and manipulated them. And They questioned all the things that they did and were forced to do while within the church. In particular, they mulled over their witnessing and missions. Were these done with genuine intention of bringing people into the light of Jesus Christ? Or were they purely motivated by Stuart's greed, his staunch belief in the myth that he had created for himself, and his deep desire to be looked up to, to be deemed as a person superior to everyone else? Unfortunately, it seems as if these questions will continue to haunt them for the rest of their lives. So that is the Church of Bible Understanding and the Forever Family. Still around today, obviously, still operating, still probably making millions, but seemingly dwindling. I think it's interesting that some of the cult members are conflicted and they think 
he might have done good for them? I think you have to. I think you I think you have to believe that there was something good in it and that you pulled something good out of it because otherwise you lose your mind. Otherwise, what is your life worth, right? Like you you were either conned you, you or you were You have to believe that that you were you were acting under the best of possible intentions at the time. And frankly, it's it's a good thing that they're questioning it rather than going on and collecting more people into Kobokai's <laughs> mission here. <laughs> Kobokai's. That should have been the name. Let's let's rebrand it. Should, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're right. It is uh it is definitely good that they are questioning it and they the people well the people that have left anyway and that they're reassessing their lives and yeah, I mean I feel bad for them cuz they were kind of just conned in when they were young, but at the same time, maybe God has brought them some sort of happiness in their life. So who's to say whether it was a total good or total bad to their life? You know what I mean? And there's not much that's either in this no, world. that's you very know, true. It's, it's very rare that anything is an absolute. And I think that may be the issue with a lot of cults is that they sell you the belief that there is an absolute good or an absolute evil in the world. And that just isn't held up by reality. Yeah. Everything's not black and white. It's, there's all, there's more gray than there is black and white. There's horses as well, <laughs> right? <laughs> like there's like birds and shit. <laughs> there's other names. <laughs> <laughs> it's now time for my favorite segment of the podcast, Cult Critique. The segment where my guests and I give each episode's cult a rating out of five stars and give comments on it as if we were rating it on Yelp. I then go to Yelp and add the reviews. <laughs> sometimes it works. Sometimes they shut my page down immediately, which I think they did to my last one. <laughs> so does that make sense? We're going to we're gonna just kind of rate it out of five. Let's do it. Five. It's up to you whether five's good or five's bad. Is it, are we doing five stars or are we doing like five Freds? We'll do five Freds. I like that. I, I think like that. that would be, yeah. <laughs> Yelp only allows me to do stars, but I will, we will consider it as Freds. <laughs> that, that's right. I mean, because then also I get to do like three and a half or whatever, and you get to wonder what half. <laughs> Just cut. Yeah. Well, true. You have to tell us which half actually, <laughs> so that we have to know if it's a good three and a half or a bad three and a half. <laughs> so what would you give the Church of Bible Understandings? Oh, uh, and, and this is, is relative to other cults in its effectiveness and goodness or its effectiveness and horribleness. Honestly, there's no scale. You can call it there's good no or scale. bad. There's no scale. I can do whatever. <laughs> okay. Then I'm going to give it like a three and a half. Okay. Freds because it is not as like to me, a one Fred cult is going to be the cult that fizzles out under a very short amount of time and does zero demonstrable good at all and perhaps ends up with its compound in Waco burning down. Like that gets one Fred <laughs> as a for instance. Right. The most recent, you know, the, the, the former American administration, presidential administration, <laughs> one Fred. Okay. One Fred. Where, <laughs> where, you know, where's like a five Fred cult would be one where a minimal number of people are hurt and a maximum number of people are positively impacted and it has some staying power. That's um, fair. And I am flatly refusing to talk about how many Freds I think the Church of Scientology would get because <laughs> those people are terrifying. So good luck with that. But, um, I'm scared of that episode. But. <laughs> I would be as well. 
I would be as well. I yeah. um yeah, I have stories about that with my own show where I had somebody come oh, on God. and mention it real offhandedly, like, Hey, I was um a family member of mine used to work for Scientology. Do you want to talk about that? And I was like, No. <laughs> No, I really don't. Thank you. Because, yes, I do, but I, no, I don't. But at the same time, yeah, you're like, uh, I'm good. I don't need that heat. I, I can't afford a lawyer. Like, yeah. That's where I'm at right now. So there's that. So I would give these, these guys like a, like a three. I mean, because obviously with the, the disastrous experiences with the orphanages, children yeah. died. That's terrible. But they died in a way that was, you know, was arguably not deliberate. And arguably in a single instance rather than a sustained. So I'm I'm of the opinion when you look at kids who are abused versus neglected, Mm -hmm. that it actually takes a lot more effort to neglect a child because you can abuse a kid in a split second. Right. But you're still giving them attention, I guess. Well, and just you can abuse, you can hit a kid in a split second and, and, and it's done. Whereas neglect takes time and it takes effort. It's hard to neglect a child. And, and still be allowed to keep them within your your sphere of influence or whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so there are these there are other cults where there there are these sustained abuses, either of children, FLDS, for instance, type cult or of adults. You, know, you just covered the anthill kids. Right. Mm-hmm. And there were some pretty impressive abuses it occurred. So those would get fewer Freds to me. <laughs> this doesn't get five Freds because children died and because yeah. they didn't do, doesn't sound like they really had that much of an impact on society. That's probably fair. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, the, the leaders are probably millionaires, so I'm sure they are doing something in politics. They're probably got their fingers in things, but yeah, they're, they don't, haven't had a widespread impact religiously probably i would say yeah which one might imagine would be the point of a cult so you know yes so i just i feel like weak watered down you know Fair. and 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 so you know three and a half like would not would not return <laughs> which which half of fred are you going left right up, i'm gonna go straight bottom. down the middle okay like mostly torso <laughs> That's fun. That's awesome. It's I not add- awesome. It's horrifying. But <laughs> well, Fred, Fred's a is a concept more than a person, so it's fine. <laughs> I will. I will add this as well. I I would also probably give it a three or three and a half. Fred's mostly because yeah, the, obviously the the kid stuff, but they should have named it Cobra Kai, uh, <laughs> and I think they would have got a four star. So <laughs> I, you know, that's a little bit less than the kindergarten imagery and a catchier name. And I might have bumped it up to a four myself. Exactly. So take notes, everyone. Don't do it. But <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if you're going to do it, do it well. But if you're going to do it, do it right. Like, uh, <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening. Kate, please tell my audience about Ignorance Was Bliss and where they can find it. Ignorance was bliss. Is I basically I'm, I I collect stories. I'm a former forensic psychologist and crisis clinician. So it started off as very true crime, and over time has sort of just evolved into talking to people of all genres. Sometimes I'm talking to people about a specific topic or a set theme. Sometimes I even have scripts and things like that. Like rare, real rarely, but it happens. <laughs> but the idea is to just collect stories and either get to know. To allow people to get to know a creator, you know, a writer or a podcaster in a different environment, you know, and or it's about 
kind of exploring the this you know the side topics and the the what ifs because that was the whole point of of going into forensic psychology for me was people would ask these questions like why would somebody do such a thing or how did this happen or and whatever and I kind of understand that stuff like I I I've sat with serial killers I know what they describe anyway and it makes a little too much sense to me. Sometimes it's <laughs> disturbing how much sense it makes. But but so like if I can make that make sense, uh, then I can make an anxiety disorder make sense. Then I can make creation of a podcast make sense. That makes sense to me. <laughs> you made sense of your podcast. That was, that was perfect. Go. Yeah. Where where can they find your podcast? I'm at iwbpodcast.com. And that's the same as well on all social media. And I am online all the time, like way too much. So they can they can find me on Twitter and Facebook, whatever. I think we all are online way too much right now with the lockdown. But are you guys still locked down? I actually don't know. We never. Well, that's a whole. That's a complicated topic. <laughs> that's a whole other episode. <laughs> well, it kind of is. Massachusetts has never gone into formal lockdown. Okay. Like that makes and sense. there have never been. Yeah, it does. <laughs> there, there have never been any consequences to ignoring restrictions really like some financial like we're told there'll be financial consequences and it doesn't happen right so it's kind of eh, but i am auto i have immunocompromised i have an autoimmune disorder and so my four kids and my husband and i have been within the same four walls <laughs> for almost a year except for medical incidents so it's wearing on you <laughs> i mean the kid like I, I I actually quite like my kids. I worked very hard to make enjoyable humans, and <laughs> that's part of why I don't have any more. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> it took a lot to get four that way. So, four yeah. was the limit. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Well, I appreciate having on, having you on, Kate. It was uh, you're very insightful and and very uh, interesting way of looking at at people, and I, I I enjoy that. So, Brad, if you if you enjoyed having Kate on, definitely go give her. A listen and, and subscribe to her podcast. Like she said, unofficially over 350 episodes, did you say? I, well, I'm over. I've recorded almost 350. I, I'm about to release, I think, 296 will come out tomorrow. Oh, my goodness. So so there you go. Almost uh, unofficially 300 episodes around that. So if you're, if you're bored, if you have a long commute, if you're oh locked God, you down. You have to have a really long commute. <laughs> I, I worry for people. Like each episode is standalone. And so I I expect people to dip in and dip out right. based on if they're interested in this topic or this person or whatever. Fair and I'll, I'll talk to somebody who's like, I've listened to every episode and I'm like, I'm so sorry. You're like, how did you do this? <laughs> I, I am so sorry. I worry a lot about them. <laughs> so, so definitely give Ignorance Was Bliss a listen. If you are loving this podcast, be sure to give us a review and tell your friends about it. If you want to keep up to date with the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at let's underscore cult. You can follow our Facebook page at facebook.com slash let's start a cult pod, or you can go to let's start a cult podcast.com and sign up for our newsletter. Thank you, Fred, for listening. And thank you, Kate, for coming on today. We'll see you next time. Cool. This podcast is brought to you by Audible. Have you been wanting to read more, but don't seem to have the time? Well, with Audible, you can read your books without having to find the extra time in your busy schedule. Stuck in traffic on your way home from work? Why not marathon the Harry Potter books? In the gym and want to learn about the First Lady? 
Well, you can listen to Becoming Michelle Obama while doing leg day. And if you go to audibletrial.com slash cultivate, you get a month free of Audible. That includes one credit that you can trade in for any audiobook of your choice, access to thousands of audiobooks free to listen to with your account, and best of all, you have access to all of your favorite podcasts in the app as well. So be sure to go to my link, audibletrial.com slash cultivate. That's C-U-L-T-I-V, the number eight, to sign up for a free month of Audible and start reading today. Thank you, Audible, for supporting the show.